welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore, and I have a slight cold, so my voice is deeper than usual. I apologize, listeners, unless you're into that kind of thing, I guess. Uh, welcome to the podcast this week. I'm joined by my two excellent co-hosts, Bailey Perkins. Hello. Hello, Andy. Scott Melson. Hello to you. What's up, dude? What's up? Let's uh, let's get into it. Let's no banter. Let's just jump in. Let's pod this. Let's pod this. Uh, a, a couple of updates, I think. Things. Let's revisit some topics from last week. First of all, at the I believe at the end of last episode, we were speculating about whether or not newly elected state senator Jake Merrick for Senate District Twenty Two had been sworn in yet, and when that might be. And indeed, he was sworn in on Wednesday of this week. So there's that update. Secondly, uh, we're going to talk about two other bills that we've discussed previously or issues um, that are highly contentious and have, I think, far-reaching implications in our law. Um, that is House Bill 1674, about the, I think it's widely described as the bill that lets you plow into people with your vehicle and not be held accountable. Although there's some other language in there that I think is pertinent or germane, as they like to say at the Capitol. We'll talk about SB2, uh, which deals with um, transgender athletes in collegiate sports, I guess any school sports. We'll talk about JCAB. Uh, we'll do a quick hit about the public presentation of redistricting maps, which I was involved with this week. That was exciting. And then um, let's start real quick, actually, with a little bit about medical marijuana. We haven't got to use our sound effect in a while. So uh, this week, a class action lawsuit was filed over the state's medical marijuana tracking program. And I'm sure in a future episode, we'll have our resident uh, medical marijuana expert, Brian Jones, on the show to talk about this. But this has to do with the Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority's seed to sale tracking program. So... More than 10,000 licensed medical marijuana businesses filed this uh, lawsuit earlier this week. That's a lot of businesses. First of all, that's a lot of businesses for us to have in our state that deal with medical marijuana. Uh, but for them all to file or to join on for this uh, class action lawsuit, basically they're saying, hey, listen, OMMA hasn't implemented a seed sale tracking program yet. And they've had almost three years to do it. Um, we submit all these reports all the time, and now they're coming into us, wanting us to do it and submit this information to a third-party business with no assurances about privacy. Um, and so they're saying, this is, oh, and they also have to pay this other company, right? And supposedly this program costs the state like $15 million a year. And so they are, they're basically requiring businesses to pay for it rather than just paying for it by the state, which is, you know, I don't know. There's a couple of ways this could go down, right? Like they could, they could require businesses to just, they could just up the fee that, the, that they pay to the state. And then that would cover the expense and not require the businesses to pay directly. And I wonder if that would, is that like a solution that would help the business that would like negate this lawsuit and help people, I don't know, still get the money for the state and to pay the license fees for this software or whatever, but without them being so upset, what do you guys think? That's a good question. 
I don't know what I mean, the isn't that like the classic way that things happen, right? Is that they they just up the fees that you your license fees you pay the state and then they don't then the state just pays it and that way it's not like a case by case situation because in this case what happens if someone doesn't pay? There's a lot of questions here. I don't understand how most things work with the medical marijuana industry in Oklahoma. So I don't really have an opinion on what they should do with, with this one. <laughs> you know, I will, this is a good um, point though, since we have no answers to this question, listeners think about this on your own. You can pause the show for just a moment and contemplate the implications of this lawsuit. And then after you listen to this episode, Go download Nondocs live from the News Dungeon podcast from, mm, I think, late March. There's one about, it's called Pot Problems, and it's all about medical marijuana, um, specifically Trace's experience, which uh, aligns with a lot of what uh, Scott has said on our program about how it's not medical whatsoever, and <laughs> it's just a bunch of hippie kids uh, selling you dope, and it happens to be legal if you've got a card. And, and Trace's frustration with that as someone who actually wants information about, you know, what makes these strains different? What are, what are terpenes, right? That's a thing. I thought it was a turtle, but that's, that's a terrapin. That's something different. And so um, it's a really good episode. If you are interested in medical marijuana, go check that but out. But I will add that the legislature has had plenty of opportunity to be able to help shape and define since we are moving in this direction of decriminalizing marijuana because it's not a drug in the way that other things are, but they haven't taken that opportunity. Instead, they're trying to find ways to criminalize people for using it again. <laughs> and so I, this is one of the, the challenges that come with when the legislature chooses not to govern in ways that it needs to, to answer complicated questions. Right. Yeah. In, uh, in the non-doc podcast episode, he has a brief interview with representative Fetgetter, who is the, uh, you know, main marijuana guy to legislature pretty much these days and who, and he ran a bill, I think, as we noted earlier in session that would have essentially legalized recreational marijuana it was not heard it didn't go anywhere this year and i think if i remember that he plans to refile it next year but just to know that those efforts are coming from the legislature from the republican party like you can see the wheels of progress turning um and i mean every election right more and more states begin to legalize medical marijuana or recreational marijuana new jersey's the newest one as among states that have legalized recreational. So, and there's a big push at the federal level right now to, to legalize it nationally to pass a federal law um, that would legalize recreational marijuana. I don't know the answer to this. I don't know. I don't know. This would be a, this would be a great question for probably any lawyer, but I'm thinking specifically about uh, Brian, uh, Brian Jones, who's been a friend, friend of the show. If the feds legalize it, can Oklahoma, like not, you know what I mean? I don't think they can, can they? I believe that any federal policy supersedes state I mean, law. I, so I mean, I know that's generally true, but I didn't know if this was different. I, I would assume it, it depends how it's worded. I think, again, I'm not a lawyer, but think about counties that were still dry counties, right? Like states and even counties could have more stringent alcohol related laws 
I would assume they could also have more stringent marijuana related laws. Well, and that's a great point, Andy, is that how it is written does matter because if it's the federal government will not criminalize marijuana usage, that's different than legalization. So right. then states could have the capacity to be able to still decide whether or not it would be legal in their states. Um, but legal, this is <laughs> right. That That is true. But this uh, is another area um, that the federal government can finally step in and give some some clarity <laughs> since we are seeing a rising number of states that have opened it up for for recreational use so yeah what a crazy it's it still blows my mind that oklahoma legalized medical marijuana and that it is such an enormous industry already right like it's a it's a big deal Andy, it's it's a reflection though of something we've talked about in previous podcasts, right? That the ballot initiative process is important to democracy in Oklahoma, right? This is something that the people and the voters wanted to see happen, and they took the channels to make it so. And so that's another reason why we have to protect. Um, are processes that allow people to engage with their government because that's the reason we have medical marijuana in the first place. Yeah, that's exactly right. All right, well, let's uh, let's move on back up to the top of our agenda. Um, and let's start with House Bill 1674, which, as we said, this is the law or the bill. It's not a law yet. It passed uh, the Senate this week. And so it heads to the governor's desk for signature. And it is, I would say, I don't know, one of the top five, top 10 most contentious bills of this session. It does a couple of things. If you remember several episodes ago, we had an episode all about anti-protest bills. And this was one of them because I believe in the bill language, it changes the definition of some of the behaviors that would constitute inciting a riot, including obstructing a roadway, right? So this could be like sitting down in a line across a road or a march of people who are blocking a road. Um, it could be a, <laughs> I get that. I think the intent is, you know, an actual riot. If I'm going to, if I'm being generous about the author's intent here, let's say there's like a throng of people that are like yelling and chanting and with bats and clubs and they're running down the road and they're blocking the roadway. Okay. If you're a driver in that situation, you have perhaps a right to be terrified. However, if it's something else like, I don't know, a peaceful march to the Capitol or a sit-in across the roadway, or I don't know, uh, Martin Luther King marching from Selma to Montgomery across the uh, Edmund Pettus Bridge, right? Like these are all examples of peaceful obstruction of a roadway. And the issue with this bill, one of the issues is that it doesn't specify anything else besides just obstruction of a roadway, that would be grounds for those people to be labeled as inciting a riot. And therefore it would be acceptable or we'll say permissible for someone to drive into them. Now, the way it's worded is to say, use their car to, you know, I think, how, how does it phrase it? It's like basically if you hit them because you're trying to escape because you're scared for your life. Now that has more specific language that gives me a little bit of hope about how those would be 
applied in the courtroom. However, seeing how everything else has been applied in the courtroom lately does not give me a lot of hope. And to be honest, this is just a tactic the legislature will codify that will suppress people's ability to exercise their First Amendment constitutional freedoms, right? It's an intentional way to say, I mean, we we talked about this in previous podcasts, right? That demonstrations, when you're using your constitutional right to petition or to protest or to use freedom of speech, it's not supposed to be comfortable, right? It's supposed to be disruptive in a way to gain attention, to move people on an issue. And Andy, you gave examples of how it's been used historically and how even with that constitutional provision in place, people have still been harmed by government. And we've seen the footage of people being beaten with baseball clubs and being attacked with dogs for protesting and not showing up (laughs) with violent weapons and things like that. A majority of all of the protests that have happened over the past year related to uh, police brutality and uh, movements for Black lives, haven't had moments of people harming folks in vehicles, right? (laughs) These are folks who are frustrated, who don't have the patience, who want to get down the street. And they're also people who hear um, propaganda like Antifa and these, you know, people who, you know, want to attack whiteness and other um, inflammatory messaging that take it to heart and want to do their part to stop people from using their constitutional right, right? And so we we saw even in Tulsa um, examples of of people getting ran over and and near and some people nearly hit um, because people who don't like what the reason is people are showing up for are are trying to intentionally attack them. And so as a person who participates in and utilizes um, that First Amendment freedom to demonstrate and protest, um, it's scary. And it says that Oklahoma government, if if I want to demonstrate things, um, demonstrate for or against things that matter to me and matter to my identity, then I deserve to be hit by someone who doesn't have that same respect. And so it's it's scary. Um, it's an intimidation tactic. Um, and it um, it's frankly race-based, right? Because this has nothing to do with what happened on January 6th. But that was one of the only protests that led to deaths, (laughs) that led to uh, destruction of government property, right? That led to um, other challenges, putting our security at risk. But people will tell you today, and, and even leaders will say, I didn't feel threatened by that. 
I I don't. And people thought that they were going to go home and go back to their regular lives after that situation. But this bill is not about that moment. This bill is about people who utilize their First Amendment rights to say that police violence and police brutality against Black people is wrong. And we have to call a spade a spade. This is a bill rooted in racism, trying to intimidate those who want to stand up for civil rights. Yeah, it makes me think of, I'll tell you what I'm afraid of, right? There's two scenarios that I think we can all relate to. One is, imagine you're sitting at a stoplight and you are you're you're driving on the road and you have to stop because there's a march of people that's going down the road, right? You're at a stoplight, your light turns green and you just wait because they're walking. Now, if you can picture this as a crowd of primarily African Americans, right? If the guy in the car next to you happens to be someone who's filled with hate, right? And rage and his light turns green and he hits the gas and plows into that crowd. And then maybe he gets caught and whatever else happens, right? Like, and he goes to trial. I'm nervous about that situation, what that looks like for Oklahoma, right? Also, to to take race out of it, because in case there's anyone listening who would push back on, on your premise, I think you're right. But let's say someone's but, listening and pushes back. But you can't take race out of it, right? No, you I can't. don't think there's a scenario where you can. No, but I'm going to use another example of people blocking the road that someone might think of, right? And that's the teacher walkout from a few years ago where there were so many people at the Capitol that invariably you have people walking across Lincoln, like to the press lot on the east side of the Capitol, right? And I you know, was up there and saw cars have to slow down. And there were people, some of them on the floor of the uh, legislature who were very angry about that walkout, right? And if the same deal, somebody is driving down the road and they are mad at these teachers, they're blocking the road and they hit the gas to drive into them and what does that look like for our state like those kind of scenarios make my heart hurt for oklahoma uh and i will you know we want to believe that pragmatism and cooler heads would prevail and that those that sought to harm somebody else would be brought to justice i want to believe that's true but what's happened in minneapolis in the last two weeks makes me question that that's going to happen, right? Like there are a ton of examples. What uh, happened in Chicago just yesterday, a 13 year old was shot and killed by a police officer, right? Um, and, And each time that these moments happen and people, uh, get acquitted it, or, you know, they get administrative leave or things like that. Um, that fuels frustration and, and hurt. Um, and and continue trauma into black and brown folks in this country. And the reality is, because Andy, you mentioned about potentials and how courts could interpret the language of this law. The reality is, if it was a teacher protest happening and someone was ran over that wasn't a darker hue, they have a greater chance of getting justice than a person who was participating in a Black Lives Matter protest, right? That's exactly and right. so um, 
it's another the, the, the danger is it's it's going to add um subjectivity in how justice is applied and it increases the risk that those who are protesting on things that are controversial and people who have brown skin participating <laughs> in those uh, controversial demonstrations, you know, will be harmed without any repercussion because the people who harm them can be protected by the law. And the role of the legislature is to make policy that benefits and protects all Oklahomans. And this is not one of those bills. Yeah, <clears throat> I agree with everything you guys have said. It's a it's a terrible bill. It's targeted at it's targeted at um, folks in the black community. It is uh, it is a way of saying we can't take away your right to protest, but we can make sure that one, it's as difficult and dangerous for you to do so as possible, and two, we can try and make sure that you have to do it in a way that pro that poses minimal inconvenience to us. Um, right? Like it's a way to try and take the the teeth out of it and say. And quite frankly, it's 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 related to I shouldn't say related to it's reminiscent of the laws that we saw across the South um, prior to the Civil Rights Act in 1968. Say, okay, you know, you can do this, but you better think twice about it, right? Like you can you can show up to protest, but you better think twice because you might get hit by a car, um, you might get charged with inciting a riot, you might get charged with destruction of public property, you might, you know, we're gonna we're gonna try and make this as difficult as possible. You know, I'm curious to see. I mean, obviously, this is gonna get challenged. I mean, I don't think there's any way the governor doesn't sign it. I assume governor still will sign it. Um, I assume it'll immediately get challenged in court. Um, I don't I don't know what the I, I have no idea what the what the what the potential avenues are for a legal remedy to this. I I have no idea, but I I'm sure we'll see that happen. I I don't know that Governor Stitt would sign it. I don't know that. Um, there are national publications talking about this legislation, and then of course the next bill that we're going to talk about. Um, there are national civil rights organizations advocating against this legislation, talking about how dangerous it is. We're constantly hearing from the governor that he wants Oklahoma to be a top 10 state, that he wants this to be a place where people relocate their businesses and bring their families here. This is a bill that will poise Oklahoma to be identified as a racist place that people don't want to live. This is gonna be positioned as an anti-black state, right? <laughs> where businesses really aren't gonna to come to where we could say no taxes for anybody and people still gonna be like, I'll pass on moving there because um, of the dangerous policies like this, right? And I don't think the governor wants to have on his conscience nor on his record that he signed a racist bill that's going to harm black people, right? And so I, I hope that that's one of the bills that he'll either let die or that he'll veto in this process because last year, 
it seemed like, you know, a one in a million shot that he would even talk about the Julius Jones case. And because there's been so much national conversation and outcry about Julius not getting true due process and a fair trial, and even the governor now going tit for tat with um, our very controversial and terrible DA, right? <laughs> that That's something that came because of how people brought this attention to his radar and to the conscious of what kind of state do we want to be? And so I'm hoping that um, those reasons will position the governor to veto that bill or at least not let it advance. I doubt that it has enough teeth or enough um, passion from the legislature to do a veto override, even though the legislature has the Republican majority has the voting power to make that happen, I don't think that it's something that the legislature um, really values to take up in that fight to do a veto override. And so I'm hoping that this will be one of the moments where we can congratulate Governor Stitt for doing the right thing and protecting all 4 million Oklahomans in the way that he claims he wants to do. And one other point that I wanted to lift, because I know we need to talk about other pieces of legislation, is that we block roads all of the time for marathons for people to run for festivals for events uh there was even a event in stillwater where people were ran over and killed by a driver right and so it's it does make you question the intent of this bill if it's now suddenly being filed after greater presence of demonstrations um, against police brutality versus all of these other moments <laughs> when we have events and things that we're blocking off roads and then there's angry person who's mad that they have to now drive around downtown versus being able to cut through in the way they normally would, right? And so I, I I really hope that the governor will take all of those perspectives into consideration um, and veto the bill because it can create more harm than good. I was looking at the, the language of the bill and I'm pretty sure that it says something about unlawful obstruction of the road. So I would want to assume that things like marathons that have permits, that that would be lawful obstruction of the road and but again there's plenty of other times right that are that are lawful they are protected by the first amendment <laughs> that um that you have to you can't permit everything right the permitting process is slow and often is a way to dissuade people from exercising their first amendment rights so sometimes like let's tailgating right people spill into the road crowds leaving the thunder game like I don't, I don't want this bill to pass for a lot of reasons. One of which is I don't want people to think that they are operating within the law in a way to harm others, right? To say nothing about what happens on the back end when this stuff goes to court and it gets applied in a way, as we said, that is unfair and unjust and inequitable across the board. So uh, speaking of laws that would have far-reaching consequences and 
make Oklahoma and uh, uh, give our state a black eye and make us uh, less desirable to others, including the NCAA. Senate Bill 2, which we discussed, I guess that was last week, right? So this is the bill that deals with uh, transgender youth playing sports. Specifically, it bans trans women from playing female sports, right? Um, and this week, so this, I, I forget the number, 20 or 30 states, I think, this bill has been introduced this year all across the country, which is always a red flag, right? Like when suddenly a bill is all across the country, especially in red states, and they're all pushing the same thing, you're like, well, surely you didn't all just come up with this on your own, right? This isn't a, a novel idea that you had. Someone has talked to you. And it was, um, so there's been some big pushback in states like Georgia, specifically, um, and in Oklahoma, where the NCAA said they're not going to hold events in states that have this legislation. Well, and we were talking before we started recording that Scott brought up a good point that the OSSAA has had policy in place since 2015 on the participation of transgender athletes in sports. And so the legislature is operating off of emotions, assumptions, homophobia. <laughs> it's operating off of trends versus even having a real understanding of what's currently in place and how institutions have been working to make sure that all athletes can participate in an equitable way, right? And so it's really disheartening that the legislature is doubling down to do something destructive on things that um, haven't been an issue. Right. Yeah, it's a solution in search of a problem, and it's also everything. I, I agree with everything you said, Bailey. But it's also, it's also based on just a a complete um, disinterest and lack of understanding what it means to be a trans person. It's um, a, a, a not understanding who trans people are, not understanding um, you know what 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 that means and and how they identify and why why they um yeah i mean it's just it's 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 just so it's it's such a fundamental um yeah i mean you know i have you know i have folks i take care of that are in the trans community i have friends that are in the trans community um and man it's just it's just it's infuriating. Like it's psychologically damaging. It's discriminatory. Um, it has the, it has the potential to cost Oklahoma a hundred million dollars in, in economic activity, which, you know, is, I'm, I don't even know that that should be the, like, that shouldn't be the preeminent reason not to do it. We should not do it. We, we should not do it because it is the, it is the wrong thing to do. But if the idea that it is the wrong thing to do is, is not sufficient to, um, to, to move you on it. The, the fact that it has potentially enormous economic implications for the state um, should be. So it's just, it's, it's a, it is a solution in search of a problem that doesn't exist. You know, there's um, 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 uh, uh, 
something I saw on on Twitter today. Um, there's somebody that I follow who was talking with one of the one of the legislatures, one of the legislators, uh, and asked him. Uh, this this person asked the the legislator said, "Have you ever looked into the difference between sex and gender, or like done any research into the way that like gender identities are, you know, in large part socially constructed?" And his response was, "Come on, man, just unzip the pants and take a look. I think you can tell." I mean, that's just like that's the attitude, right? Well, and Scott, this is this is, but this is the area where lawmakers need that diversity, equity, and inclusion training. And the irony is that they're pushing legislation that says that they're exempt or keeping the legislature from getting that knowledge and understanding about what it means to be a trans person, right? Or what it mean, what gender equity means and, and what these ideas, because it's based on pure ignorance and the consequence is bills like this, right? We're going to see a rise of things that will truly harm people because they don't understand and they don't want to understand. And so to, to a point that Andy brought up before we, we started recording, we're not talking about a person who identifies as a man throwing on a dress and then participating in a track meet. Like, that's not what we're talking about here. And that's the image lawmakers have in their heads about what's going on in public school systems. So to your point, Scott, this is a non-issue because trans women are women and the legislature shouldn't be making policy that's going to lead to the NCAA pulling things that the state deems important, like our softball uh, tournaments that happen every year. Uh, there's wrestling championships that happen that draw in people from all over the country to Oklahoma. And is it worth losing that economic activity that you brought up, Scott, just to be stuck in bigotry? But more importantly, we're harming Oklahomans. We're harming trans Oklahomans. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, and I, I'm, first of all, I would say um, Jenny Carlson from who a sports writer with the Oklahoman has a great article about this. And so I definitely recommend everybody check it out. Um, but I would also say, you know, she talks about, um, you know, regional semifinals for wrestling, basketball, golf. She talks about the women's college world series for college softball. I mean, but I don't know, like, you know, every, every OU and OSU football game is an NCAA sanctioned event, right? Um, does that, does that change? Does that mean that like our college football teams aren't allowed to compete in like the NCAA playoff games? I mean, I, I don't know that that's what that would mean, but, um, I can, I can tell you that if that's the case, there's 85,000 people who gather in Norman, uh, most Saturdays in the fall who will be real pissed, <laughs> you know? Um, um, it's just, it's a very, there's just, there's, it, you know, and this is my like getting too philosophical for a moment, but like, there's just, there are just so many serious, real problems. Um, and to waste so much time on something that is not only not a problem, but so harmful and that, and that has the potential to create so many 
problems. It's just, man, it's just. We, we saw lawmakers sign on to the bill and claiming that it's protecting women. Um, as the vice chair of the Oklahoma Women's Coalition, uh, <laughs> we put out a statement alongside Freedom Oklahoma uh, speaking hard against this bill because this isn't an effort to protect women and girls. And there are a lot of women athletes that are telling you that this bill is not protecting them, but it is harming their peers and colleagues, right? And so the legislature, this is one of those areas where I hope, because the, the next step of this bill um, is to go to back to the, back Senate, to the Senate, right? So it was, because, it was a community sub in the house. Right? Yeah. A committee the, the, sub? A committee, <laughs> committee sub. sub. A committee it was a sub committee sub. And so um, it would have to return back to, to the house. And they have until next Thursday to decide whether or not they're going to hear it, to decide whether or not they're going to deprive Oklahoma children of participating in sports, whether or not they're going to take money and events that generate revenue for our state away from Oklahomans because of something so biased, right? And rooted in, in, in homophobia. And so I, I really hope that the legislature will not only just take heed of the consequences that will come from this legislation, but take some real internal reflection, right? This is, this is the reason they need competency training because they're making decisions in that building that impact everybody. They're making decisions that affect trans Oklahomans. And so it's not fair for them to put discriminatory language in law that hurts people, right? It's, it's, it's just something they shouldn't do if they are to represent every constituent. And many of them may have trans constituents and they don't even know it. And so they have an obligation to learn and to, to do better. And I hope they take that opportunity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, uh, it hurts all Oklahomans and it, it always boggles, it boggles the mind when the state legislature passes laws that I would wager most of them know they're going to have to come back and repeal or change in five years, 10 years, 20 years, right? Like they know which way history is headed and they still resist. <laughs> they still hold back. And, um, to, I, to both your points, you know, the potential for this bill to have enormous economic impact on our state in a year, right? Going into the, the budget stuff is already difficult, um, should not be overstated, right? Like the fact that the NCAA would yank um, some of their events has a big impact, the softball hall of fame and wrestling and gymnastics and basketball and football and the potential for all these things. We've hosted the the NCAA Final Four a couple of times, right? Yes. Like mm -hmm. hundreds of millions of dollars of money into our cities and our state. And I would imagine that the cities are pushing back too because this would be just a, a dagger into their um, budgets when those things happen. And that is a bad deal. It's just um, not worth it. It's not worth it. All right. So 
since we were just talking about economic issues, we're going to pivot over to the state budget and talk about the first JCAB meeting of the year, right? So the Was uh, it really JCAB? Was it really? <laughs> JCAB, of course, stands for the Joint Committee on Appropriations and Budget. This is the committee of members um, from uh, kind of throughout. I guess it's from both chambers, right? It's why it's joint. Um, and this is where they hash out the budget each year. Well, no, there's there's House JCAB and then there's Senate JCAB. Okay. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I almost said that first. Okay. Yeah. Each, how, there's House JCAB and there's it's joint because it's members of all the different committees that have bills that impact fiscal stuff is my understanding. Every year I have to go relearn why they like why JCAB exists. But right. but this this uh, that's right, because the appropriations committee doesn't have the final say on the budget. They have to run it back through this other financial related committee. It's JCAB. And, and it's a much bigger committee. Yeah, it's huge. It's like a third of the chamber or something. Um, and uh, also, as we were reminded this week, not all the bills in JCAB are budget related, right? Suddenly, this is the, uh, this is the, <laughs> the period, the, the upside down where formerly dead or dormant bills come back to life. Then we have to deal with them again. And this is why anyone who follows the Oklahoma legislature knows no bill is dead until signy die. And even then it's only dead for about eight months and they'll come back next year. So um, Scott, tell us a little bit about what happened with JCAB this week. So JCAB was interesting. They went through, I mean, they went through a bunch of bills and for the, 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 they met for about two hours. And for the most part, for the most part, it was, it was pretty, pretty smooth sailing. Um, most of the bills passed um, either if, if not unanimously, um, very, uh, very, very nearly unanimously. However, there were uh, a little bit, there were there were a few uh, fireworks. Um, the bulk of the time that I'm pulling up my thread here, uh, the bulk of the time uh, was spent considering a bill, a Senate bill, or what was originally a Senate bill that was presented by uh, 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 Chris Kennedy, Representative Chris Kennedy. I'm pulling the bill number right now, um, but this is uh, essentially this was a bill that would make it so that state agencies who are undergoing mandatory audits. Um, would not have to get those audits done by uh, the state auditor's office. So right now, um, when a state agency gets audited, it's done by the state auditor's office. Um, and uh, Representative Kennedy's contention um, was that um, the costs of those audits have been have been going up significantly year over year in a way that he feels like probably does not. Uh, reflect actual costs. And so what this bill would do is it would allow agencies to get competitive bids from uh, outside outside auditing firms and allow an outside auditing firm to conduct their audit. This was uh, this was really, really contentious. Um, they debated this for, my gosh, I think close to like an hour, maybe just on this bill. Um, um, there were a lot of fireworks about um, an, an audit of Epic that happened earlier this year. There was some language originally in the bill that had to do with with auditing Epic. That language was taken out so that it wouldn't affect it wouldn't affect audit uh, uh, Epic's audits. Um, 
one other point of major contention, um, and this is kind of to a larger point about something that's interesting in the Oklahoma legislature, um, is that state auditor Cindy Byrd was actually present at this meeting um, and was repeatedly denied the opportunity to testify about why costs for audits have been going up and what whether this, you know, kind of what the impact of this bill would be. Generally speaking, committee chairs in the Oklahoma legislature defer to bill authors or the person that is presenting the bill in committee to determine whether people can come and speak for or against the bill. And generally speaking, they don't, they don't allow anyone to come. They don't allow anyone who is not a member of the committee to come in and speak against the bill, which is just like, that just blows my mind. And, and, you know, I mean, I've, I've known this, but um, representative Kennedy, I'm trying to find the quote. He actually had a, he actually had a quote where he essentially said like, I am not going to like demean the integrity of this committee by allowing somebody who's not on the committee to come speak against the bill. And it's like, so there's somebody who's here, who's an expert who could answer all the questions, but we're not going to let her talk because that would demean the integrity of the committee. It was really, it was, it was, it was a little uh, mind blowing. Um, I, yeah, a lot of a lot of fireworks over this bill. Ultimately, um, I think, fortunately, ultimately, the bill did not pass. It failed uh, seven to twenty-four. Um, it's been held for a possible reconsideration, so certainly it's not dead yet. But it did not get through JCAP the first time. One of the big issues a lot of the members had was so. If you are picking the outside agency, who's the outside firm who's going to do your audit, and you are paying them to audit your shit. Um, Hmm. That seems like there's a conflict of interest there, right? It seems like uh, there might be some pressure on the firm that you're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to do the audit to maybe they'll find an audit that's very favorable to you. Um, so that was the biggest, that was the biggest issue. Um, there was another, another flare up about uh, a bill that was presented by representative uh, Mark LaPac, who is a Republican from Claremore. Um, super nice guy. If you ever get the chance to talk to him, I disagree with him on virtually everything, but he's, uh, he's, he's, he's super chill. Um, he had a bill about uh, abortion, abortion inducing medications. And right now you're going, uh, wait, guys, you just said that this was JCAB and that this was like a budget committee and that this is about how the state spends money. So why was a bill about abortion producing, uh, abortion inducing medications um, in, in, in JCAB? Um, and they, they actually asked Representative LePak that question. His response was something to the effect of, I'm where it is. Like, <laughs> like you couldn't really understand what he said. It was kind of a non-answer and they voted on it. And of course it passed. Yeah. Trey said that, um, cause Trey Savage live tweeted that, uh, A and B meeting and it says Virgin asks why the bill is in appropriations and budget and not public health. LaPac said, I do not know. And so Virgin said it's her understanding that the abortion inducing drugs are already highly regulated. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, which, is, which is, which is true. Right. Um, is, and all those things like Alita Virgin could have, I, I would assume a member can move to um, contest the germaneness of a bill being heard, but then of course it goes to a vote and 
if you know you've got a good chance of losing that vote, sometimes it's not even worth it, right? And so I, we, we see those kinds of parliamentary procedures being used at this stage of the game, um, and which is exactly why I have a, a quick reference guide to Robert's Rules of Order here on the shelf behind me. Bit of light reading. Well, you know, if you need to sleep, sometimes it's it is helpful. There were also a couple of other bills. Um, and I think actually it may be, as I'm reviewing this, it may be that only these first two bills were technically JCAB and the rest of the bills were normal appropriations and budget, uh, house appropriations and budget. I'm not positive on that. Um, but they did pass two bills that relate to Oklahoma utilities. Um, and that would allow uh, OG and ONG specifically. Um, essentially, instead of uh, instead of all of us getting a bill for a thousand dollars a month for the next twelve months uh, to recoup costs from the cold snap in February, it would allow the utilities to essentially uh, prorate these out for like the next ten to fifteen years. And so it, it looks like it's going to be like. 10, 10, 10 years of an extra $5 a month as opposed to uh, an extra $1,000 a month for the next year and a half. So that also passed this week. Also, I know we already talked about non-doc earlier, but um, they've got a good article, which I will link to in the show notes to this, about that bill because the two state agencies or organizations that deal with that um, finance situation don't have websites. And so there was this was kind of a big deal of like, oh, these are supposed to be transparency oriented um, well, agencies or entities of the state government that deal with millions and millions of dollars and help finance things. And they don't even have a website. So um, it was fast. That's right. Yeah. I've got one of those. <laughs> All right. Well, um, on that note, we're going to go ahead and wrap up for this week. We had more to talk about which we will get to in the future. Um, I hope to have uh, a member of the legislature on to discuss the public presentation of redistricting maps because a member of the House submitted his own map for the chamber. And it was really interesting to see his presentation and his take on it. And also, uh, oh, hang on. I'm going to stop the music for a second. We didn't mention that former State House member John Bennett has been elected as the chair of the Oklahoma Republican party with 54 percent of the vote i believe oh just barely got in there huh man uh i'm sure he'll come up in the news at some point with something wacky that he said and uh maybe we won't talk about it because i don't want to give airtime to people that have <laughs> racist views right all right um all right well that's it for this week scott bailey thank you for being here always man wouldn't miss it except thank next you. week Except next week, what I will miss it. <laughs> oh, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Listeners, thank you for being here as well. And remember, decisions are made by those who show up. Have a good week. Bye.